0: Jonah, it's me, God. I need you to head to Nineveh, Jonah. Those people are so not following me, it's not even funny. And you need to go tell them to, or it's going to be bad news for those people. So, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Are you talking to me? (laughs) You want me to go to Nineveh, God, because... I don't really like Nineveh God. The people there totally freak me out. And I mean, like, Michael Jackson's from Nineveh God. It's just... Okay, it's that way. Okay, well, you're the big guy. I'll go. I'll go, really. I'll go. I need a ticket. Next boat out of here. Where's it going? Tarshish? Okay, here we go. It's leaving already? Oh, okay. Well, uh, Jonah, is it? Yes, it's Jonah. All right, I just need you to sit down inside the boat, crawl down in there. Should be smooth sailing the whole way. Okay, dokie, thank you. Oh, this is a pretty crummy boat. Almost as crummy as my accent. Oh. Okay. Maybe I get some rest in here. At least I'm not going to Nineveh anywhere is better than Nineveh. Oh. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Can you keep it steady, please? I'm trying to get some sleep down here. Oh, my goodness. What is going on? Oh, my. This is a crazy storm. That's a big, big wave. Well, we've been praying to our gods. It's not doing anything. So maybe you should try yours. Uh, Yeah, probably, because you see, I serve the god who made this whole ocean right here, and he's pretty ticked off at me right now. So maybe... uh, maybe you chuck me overboard or just wait till I fall off the stage and then uh, everything will be okay for you and oh no I can't believe they did it that's a big fish coming my way Oh, oh, oh oh Oh, I've been swallowed by a fish. Oh, it's a stinky fish, too. Oh, Okay, God, please forgive me. I will go to Nineveh. Just get me out of this fish. Whatever you want me to do, I, I will go. I will go. Just please, God, get me out of here. Fish. Puke him up. <laughs> Hmm. Okay, Nineveh's that way, God? I will go. And he does. Jonah heads off to this city of Nineveh. He stops running away from God and... Goes the direction that God would have him go. And in so doing, in that moment, he sets up kind of a pattern that I think most of us experience in our life. And it's simply put: it is we run and God pursues. That's what God is all about. I don't know if that's kind of the theme of your life. It has been in seasons in mine where I just seem to run, run, run. Even when I'm doing okay, I still, at the core of who I am, just constantly pulling away from Him. And yet God constantly pursues me. God is constantly offering forgiveness to me and salvation to me and comfort to me and protection to me. Time and time again. For our lives, I think for us to transition out of okay and into epic, for us to really go for an epic life, I think that God is calling us, like he did with Jonah, to to step away from... Not just going, okay, yeah, I've I've got this salvation, I've got this forgiveness, I've got this love, I've got this friendship, and end there. I really believe for us to live an epic life, God is saying, I have given you this salvation, forgiveness, friendship, healing, that you might take it to other people. But especially people that don't look or act like you. And that's the tough part. God has called us to bring His love and compassion and forgiveness to people that don't look or act like you and I do. And that's what gets Jonah all sideways. We're going to find that Jonah's called to go to Nineveh, but he runs not just because he's scared, but he runs because he doesn't like the people of Nineveh. And I think for us to kind of wrap ourselves around the lesson of Jonah here this morning, um, we just need to grab a hold of this concept that God's heart for people that look and behave differently than we do is absolutely overwhelmingly huge. And for us to be Christ-like and godly and to be on board with his heart and his mission, we got to do the same thing. And so, if you got your Bibles this morning, open up to the book of Jonah. It's a little bit more than halfway through your Bible. It's very easy to miss because it's only like 48 verses. Right after Obadiah, which won't help you because that's like a page. (laughs) Jonah, right at chapter 1. little background on the guy, Jonah, Jonah was a prophet uh, of Israel. God had used him only one time prior to this story right here. And the time, the one time that Jonah got used before this story here uh, was to be an instrument of God, to proclaim to the Israelites that God's favor and blessings were still on them and were, and were coming. Uh, That's a great job. I would be totally stoked to step out and deliver that message that, hey, God loves you, and more blessings are to come. Thus thus saith the Lord. That's sweet. That's a good message. So second time around, when uh, God gets word that that, uh, Jonah gets word that God wants to use him, I think Jonah's probably like, oh, sweet, cool, another little blessing, favor message. I I can do that. That's good. And then God says this in verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And when he heard that name Nineveh, I am pretty sure that his stomach began to turn, and his mind began to race, and his knees began to knock. I'm pretty sure he was like, oh, no, no way. You're calling me to go to Nineveh? Well, why was that such a big deal? Nineveh was not even a city of israel and so first off now god's calling jonah to go to A nation that isn't his own and and a people that are not his own They they're not jewish people god is calling him to go to a gentile people That are way far east and kind of north Of israel in what is now present-day iraq. That's where nineveh sat Nineveh, by ancient historians' accounts, was the biggest city um, in existence at this time period. It was about 500,000 people that lived in the Assyrian Empire's capital here was was Nineveh. But this place had a hideous reputation. Uh, The prophet Nahum, you can read about Nineveh and find out all the hideous things that were going on in Nineveh, uh, and, and certainly why God calls Jonah to go stand up against this wickedness. This city was awful. The pride of this city was just overwhelmingly huge. Very prideful people um, within this city, uh, but very violent as well. It was so violent in Nineveh. The murder rate was so high that, that as you would walk down the streets... History recorded that you literally had to step over dead bodies on the sidewalk because murders happened so frequently and often that they didn't have time to go collect these bodies. They were so brutal to their enemies that when they would go in and rout a specific group of people, they would take the babies of their enemies and come back and smash the babies' heads open on rocks, just as another way of, of getting back at their enemies. They would then go and rape the women and turn them into sex slaves. This was a dark society. This was a hideous group of people. This was a very sinful group. This wasn't just, oh, they're just not like you or me. I mean, these people were really far away from God. And so no wonder Jonah didn't want to go. That would be like um, if you were Jewish and living in New York City during world war ii and god puts a call on your life to go over to germany and save the nazis (laughs) this would not be something that most of us would rush off to so give jonah just a little bit of credit here he did not like these people and so because of that he's going to go a different direction And a lot of us kind of do the same thing. We see people that look differently than us, whether it's because of a race issue or a socioeconomic issue or a disability issue, or they're in our same socioeconomic class, but they're pierced and tattooed in such a way that make you not want to talk to them or dress in such a way or their lifestyle is such a way that at just first impulse, we just go, wow, you're really not like me And I'm not sure I'm on board with you. And yet God is a God who has compassion and mercy and desires a friendship and healing and salvation for every single person who is breathing on this planet today. So, Jonah, though, can't get his head around it. Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Okay, just a quick note on Tarshish. Israel's in the middle, and then Nineveh was way off to the east, way off to the east. Tarshish was about as far west as you could go. In fact, in their known geography, on their known maps, Tarshish was thought to be the end of the earth. It was the south of Spain. And so Jonah's like, I'm not just going to run away. I'm going to go the opposite direction. As far away from those people and God's call that I can get, that's where I'm, I'm headed. And so he goes down to Joppa, gets on this boat headed for Tarshish. And as he heads out, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It's an interesting picture of when someone is running from God. A godly person running from God, it's like being asleep. And I'm so thankful that Cornerstone is not that place, but the church, capital C in America especially, has really just become a sleeping giant. With respect to what God wants to do, with respect to the millions of people in our own country and this planet that don't look or act like your average Christian, and we're just sleeping right through it. That's not, not a good position for anyone to be in. The storm arises, it's going crazy, and all the people on board the boat are freaking out. They're trying their own little methods, trying to connect with their fake God, going, man, maybe this will work or that will work, and nothing's working. So then the captain goes to Jonah. Captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Huh. Even this guy's like, what are you thinking? Are, are you stupid or something? Wake up and do something about this, because we're, we're pretty freaked out. And, and he goes, yeah, actually, this probably is my fault, because I, I serve this God that made this huge ocean right here. He's in control of the whole deal. The ones you've been praying to, they're nothing. They're like a little block of wood carved out of something. so that's horrible to be you in this moment, but... Um, <laughs> i i just like i have got this god and and i actually work for him uh i'm a prophet and so yeah unfortunately that's your bad here in this situation because i'm running from him which is funny because look when he tells them this look at verse 10 this terrified them and they asked what have you done they knew he was running away from the lord because he had already told them so how did that go Do you get on hey i'm jonah nice to meet you i'm running from the lord that's cool. oh sweet come on come on board So the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And now verse 12 is crucial. Underline this, memorize this. This is the hinge point of Jonah's whole heart in this story and so crucial for us. Jonah's reaction here. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. Catch this, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I know that it's my fault that this storm has come upon you. And in this defining moment in the heart and the life of Jonah, he owns his own sin. He owns his own need. He doesn't start making excuses or blaming other situations or people, well, it's my circumstances. Oh, it was your guys' fault for not knowing how to sail around this storm. It's not God's fault. It's just Jonah going, okay, this is me. This is my fault. I'm going to own my sin. I'm going to own me running from God. I'm going to own that this is my problem. You guys, in that moment... I believe that Jonah saw just a little bit of himself in the people that God had asked him to go save. I think in this moment, God allowed a brokenness and a humility in Jonah where he was able to see the common things that he had with the Ninevites instead of just all these differences. I think Jonah was able to see. Wow, I, I work for you, God, but I'm still one of these guys that is running so far away from you. I thought that's really just what these Ninevites were doing, but I see it even in me. You guys, this is so crucial and so instructive for all of us. If if you maybe maybe your struggle is something just of, of people in other places maybe it is there's there's just a couple blocks over there's a community of people that that do not look or act or have the things that any of us in this room have there are disabled people and and homeless people that do not look or act like we do maybe your hang up isn't those things maybe it's just maybe it's a sin issue in your neighbor or your boss that you look at the way that they're living and they're just jerks or just just rough people. And, and so when you think about them having a seat here in this church or in a relationship, it's just kind of like, ooh, that's a different story. But until you and I can start to see the similarities that we share, that at the core of all of us human beings, we share this broken, sinful nature that is constantly wanting to run from God. And if you can look past all the other circumstances and poor choices and all of that and see people as God sees them and just love them, build that relationship with them even when they don't look like or act like you or I do, I think that's huge. But until we get that there's a core similarity somewhere down deep... I think it's going to be hard for us to really wrap around how Jonah's able to pull out of this situation. And so he says, okay, I'm going to bail on anything that is going to take me away from God anymore. Literally, I'm going to jump out of this boat. Gets thrown into the sea, and then we know what happens. Verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. There are some people that say, okay, was this really true? A lot of people that go, this was just an allegory or a metaphor. Uh, This didn't really take place. This isn't historic. This is just kind of a fanciful story that we're supposed to pull some lessons out of. Okay, right off the bat, you guys, that's not true. This is meant to be historical, and it actually happened anytime just a side note anytime in the bible where something is supposed to be an example a parable a metaphor an allegory for something else it will either come right out and say it or it'll be so obvious within the context of that story this isn't the case here in jonah but also in the new testament jesus himself makes some reference to jonah Jesus himself references Jonah being swallowed by this fish and then stuck in the fish for three days. So, if Jesus himself is quoting it as a historic event and not some allegory, well, then you've got that to wrestle with. This actually did take place. So then, within that, there's really three options if you're trying to understand how this could possibly take place. There's some people that go, okay, well, this just naturally happened. Jonah was swallowed by this great fish, and the Greek and the Hebrew, that phrase great fish actually just means some giant aquatic creature. So we don't know exactly what it was, if it was a whale or a fish or something else altogether. And science and biology, they have found sperm whales that swallow food whole. They found one, in fact, that swallowed a 450 pound squid whole. They caught, whalers caught this whale later, cut open the whale, and the Squid was still in there, uh, still alive and all all whole. Um, there have been some other accounts, especially there's one in the 1920s that was supposed to have taken place where a fisherman fell overboard and was swallowed by a fish. And then um, they caught it later, cut it open. They found him inside and was unconscious but still alive. That is unsubstantiated and, and just not true by a ton of reading that i did in these last two weeks because i've heard that story since i was little and tried to find out whether this is true or not you guys it's it's unsubstantiated at at best and it would be cool if it were because then we could go sweet look it's real it can happen but the reality is you guys that, that one probably didn't by the by the evidence that is out there but they know that these whales, there are, there's actually one fish that actually swallows things whole. It doesn't digest them. It swallows it whole and then gets its nutrients, whatever it needs, just off the body of the person and then regurgitates its food like three or four days later. Maybe that was what swallowed Jonah. Um, biologists also know that inside the stomach of a whale, there's usually air in there. And so maybe Jonah could have survived for a short while in there. Um, this reference to three days and three nights. Uh, is actually, that's just kind of a general time frame that could have been just three days, not necessarily three nights as well. It could have been as little as like 48, um, 50 hours of time. Um, so it just kind of varies there. I don't know, maybe Jonah was hanging out in the belly of the whale, a little bit of air in there, and, you know, he sees fish swimming by, and Pinocchio and Jiminy are in there and like, cool, sweet. I got a little movie idea I'm gonna jot down. And, uh, I don't know. But can you imagine how disgusting. That, that would be uh, just to be stuck right in slime and seaweed and just oh, that's so gross. Um, but more likely um, is that it was just a miracle. That God really just performed a miracle. He provided such a fish that would be able to swallow Jonah whole, preserve him inside. And there's some miracle just in the preservation of Jonah in that moment. But then there's other people that go, well, maybe there's a third option, and that is that Jonah was swallowed by this fish and died inside the belly of the whale, couldn't survive in there, but then was resurrected, brought back to life somewhere near the end right before the fish vomits him up. And a lot of scholars say that that's a possibility because of the prayer that Jonah prays in Jonah chapter 2. There's a reference where Jonah thanks God for saving him from the depths of, and then there's this word that in, our, in Hebrew is sheol, which is one of the words where we get hell from. And so they think, well, maybe he actually did die and, and was brought back to life. Um, whatever it is, though, this is a historic account, a ridiculous, crazy, epic event where God was diving in to get somebody's attention. Bigger than that. I believe that this fish wasn't just used to get Jonah's attention. I believe that this fish was an instrument of God's compassion and forgiveness and protection and salvation. Because Jonah is broken and he says, It's my fault. I'm done running. And he jumps overboard. Well, now he's not even in a ship. He's out in the middle of the sea somewhere. And here comes this fish, yes, to get his attention. But I think bigger than that, to prove that God is still about protecting him, still about delivering him, still about giving him a a mission again that God had called him to. And that was to go minister and love on a group of people and preach the word to a group of people that didn't look or act like him. And in the belly of that fish, Jonah has a pretty amazing moment and realizes his need for God. And the only way that he's going to pull off anything is if God saves him. And so look at the end of chapter two, go to verse nine, Jonah prays. And he says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And this is key. Salvation comes from the Lord. In a little foreshadowing right here, I think he sees a little bit of himself in the Ninevites. And the salvation he has just experienced, he knows, is going to be extended to these people that he doesn't like. And yet now he's like, what's the point of me running? I can't run. And so he goes. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give you. And so he heads out. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, can you imagine this city of Nineveh is about eight miles across, but even greater if you counted the whole metropolitan area for him, it's going to take three days of cruising around. So it would be like not just hitting Phoenix, but hitting all the way out to Chandler and all the way around uh, hitting all these people. And history records that this is the largest conversion or salvation experience to a group of people in all of history. Hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children are spared in this moment because of Jonah's obedience and God's love and heart and forgiveness. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Because that's what God's into and all about. But look at Jonah's reaction chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? And Jonah already slips back into his old mindset and his old life and starts running again, just in a different way. This is, this is so like us. I mean, we just get it and then we're on fire and then we bail in again. But God is really desiring for us to impact the people around us that don't look like us and don't act like us and so whether it is someone with a disability or someone that doesn't look the same as you or just that neighbor or that boss that you just can't stand the god of the universe is all about slow to anger he's all about forgiveness he's all about compassion he sees that which is common in all of us and wants to wrestle through with that with us. He sees us for what we really are and what we really can be. And I think he's calling you and I to be his hands and his feet to people that don't look or don't act like us. Because if we're not going to express who Jesus is to these people, and how will they ever know? In fact, look at 2nd Peter. And then we're done. Right near the end of your Bible, 2nd Peter ironically is after 1st Peter. Go to chapter 3. Jonah doesn't have any right to be angry, and yet probably made him uncomfortable to see these people that he just didn't like get in in the same thing that he had with God. Sometimes I think about that for us here. I mean, can you imagine, like, if this place, uh, it, it was really packed full of people that in no way, shape, or form were like you and I, whether by looks or, or action. I mean, lifestyles that would just make us sick and, and um, maybe economic status that would do the same. I, I was um, speaking at my church, uh, old church a couple of years ago, and in the middle of the, the message, the back doors opened up and in walked this homeless guy right in the middle of my message and, and sat down in the front row. And, and it was obvious to everyone. I mean, he just kind of barged right in and sat down. And he smelled bad enough for me to smell him from up front. And I could see the reaction of the people in the rows around him. could smell him. And then uh, he's sitting there about halfway through the the message. Um, he interrupts me. Can you imagine that? He interrupted me in the middle of the message. He just raised his hand and he said, um, could I have a drink of water? I'm like, yeah, sure, you can. We, right in the back there. And I saw some leaders. I said, hey, could we get him some water? And he goes, no, no, no. I want you to go get it for me. Okay. I was like, I better get him water is he's going <laughs> to stab me or something. This is freaking me out. I wish I could say, you know, my heart's in the right place, but I was like, wow, this is kind of scaring me right now. And so, yeah, how much water do you want the big bottle or do you like Avion? Is that cool with you? Or what temperature would you like it, sir? We'll get that right for you. Went over and got him water and brought it back and just said, here you go. And he went, thanks. And then he just sat there for the remainder of the message, just chugging the water and totally content. And. After the thing was over, he came up and he said, Hey, um, thanks for doing that. He's like, I just wanted to see if this was the kind of church and you were the kind of people that would stop in the middle of what you're doing to go get me some water, especially somebody like me. You know what? Jesus himself said that he was living water. And that just diving into him would quench A thirst in you that no one or no thing ever could and shouldn't this be a place where anybody even if they don't look or act like us could come in and receive the life quenching water of Jesus through you and through me I mean even if it's messy and really uncomfortable any of you on board in here to go for the messy, uncomfortable, unsafe, like we're going to get a little bit crazy in here sort of sort of existence? Anyway, okay, we got one. Thank you very much. Cool. Two, three, four. All right, we can work with you. The rest of you will get you some water and you'll get on board here in just a little while, we're sure. But you guys, this is so cool. It's so exciting. And when, when we start to do that, I think we really move into an epic life. Because our heart joins with God's heart. Our mission joins with God's mission. And His heart and mission have always been for these broken, weak, messed up, hurting, sinful, running away sorts of people. And for us to be on board with Him, we got to get on board with that mission. And once we do, it will speed things up for when He comes back. Check this out, Second Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is every human being, regardless of race, disability, religion, sinfulness, lifestyle, comes to a relationship with Him, turns from whatever it is is going on in their life if it's sinful, and embraces Him, and finds friendship and community with Him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with the roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There's coming a time Jesus is coming back for His people. As soon as everybody's heard, He's, he's coming back. And so, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a good question. If this is the reality, if God's call is for the people that are broken and need him, even those that look and act differently than you and I, if there's a moment coming where he's coming back for his people, and this is the condition of life right now, then what should we be doing? How should we be living It says right here, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In other words, when we start to extend the love of God, we get on board with not just witnessing, but being a witness in your workplace, in the communities that are not too far from here, that look nothing like us, in all the parts of the world and people start to hear about this God, we speed up the process for us getting to go home. And I'm all ready for that. But what if we made this home a little bit like that home a little bit sooner? What if you and I extended our hands and our feet to people that don't look and don't act like us? That don't have faces like you and I? And instead, we just love them. We went for them. Yeah, we brought God's word to them. But we brought our lives and our passion, our comfort to them. Wouldn't that be cool? You might be the only Jesus somebody knows. And people look at your face, what do they see? When you look at the faces of people around you, can you look through all the circumstance, poor choices, all the layers, and see Jesus looking back at you? Every person has that capacity to have Jesus inside of them. What if you looked at everyone as if it were Jesus looking back at you? How would that change the way that you view all sorts of people that don't look and act like you and I do? A couple of years ago... Two of my closest friends went um, down to Ecuador. Married couple named Eddie and Maggie. They're missionaries. They went down to Ecuador and uh, went to visit the city dump in Quito, Ecuador. Quito is the capital. And right above the city dump on a hillside is the most wealthy portion of Quito. Humongous houses. There's a lot of oil money in Quito. Very wealthy people that live there. And right at the bottom of the hill that literally their balconies overlook is the city dump. Tons of trash. But Eddie and Maggie went to that dump that day because there are hundreds of people that live in the city dump there in Quito. The trash is their home. Rotten food that is there in the dump is their only source of sustenance. And they pulled in their cars and they got out. And they didn't see anybody at first. And then piles of trash began to open up and fall over as men, women, and children began to emerge literally from the piles of trash, emerging from their homes. And they saw Eddie and Maggie and a woman ran up to Maggie, who speaks Spanish, and Held out her baby to Maggie and says, You need to take my baby. You need to take my baby. I want to give you my baby. And Maggie just said, I, c- I can't. I can't take your child. And tears coming down this woman's face, and she says, Okay, if you can't take my baby, then would you name him for us? Would you give him a name? Because we don't even name our kids anymore because most of them don't live past a year or two old. Would you name our son? And Maggie, thinking of her husband, said, Sure, call him Eddie. And now in another part of the globe, my friend Eddie has a little boy who lives in a dump who is named after him. How much more connected do you think Eddie is in heart and spirit and prayer and resource to those people, because he gets that common connection. We need that same connection with every single person around us, whether they look or act like us or not. And the people around us need a lot more than your name or my name. The people out there that don't look or act like us need the name of Jesus. And they need the love of Jesus. And they need the compassion of Jesus. And perhaps God is using you to be an instrument of His salvation and comfort and relationship to bring that to those people. So the next time that you see those faces that are maybe different or act differently than you, what will you do? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you're patient. Thank you that when we run, you pursue. But God, this morning, would you allow us just to sense your word and your leading so strongly that we would own up to the fact that we maybe at the core of who we are, not too far off. So many people that either we work with or we see on TV or have heard about in other countries or are just right down the block that don't look or act like us. Thank you for so many in this church that are already committed to those sorts of people. But Father, as we see the faces of people around us that this might be different would you break our hearts for those people instead of harden our hearts would you allow us to see that beyond the differences beneath the differences there is a human being that you died for and that you loved desperately would you use us to love those people There's a lot of faces out there that need to see Jesus in in your face. Just my hope and prayer for all of us this week as we head out of here. We love you guys very much. If you need something, there'll be people up front. And we just have one last request. Um, There's some demolition that's beginning on our other education building over here that is kind of gearing up for what's happening over there. So long and short of it is, Uh, We are losing our overflow room over there uh, through Christmas. And so if you're a regular attender here and could consider either coming to the 8 a.m. service or the 1145, uh, that would be great because the 915 and 1030 are really getting packed. And to leave room for all the people that we talked about today, um, we just would ask that if you have the option to move up uh, to 1145 or... Uh, come to church super early at eight so that's it all right you guys you're out of here thanks for coming have a great great week